You don't trust banks because banks use fractional lending. So why insurance companies? Well, they're bigger, they're safer, and they pay higher interest rates because they don't move money the way the banks do. So what you do is you're just looking to get access to the returns that the insurance companies will pay. So through this specially designed whole life, you access the general account. You can get the money into the general account. And in doing that, basically, once the money hits that, you basically can pull the money right back out. When your check clears, you put it in and you can take it out. This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today, we have Chris Knockle. Chris is a real estate investor and the founder of The Money School. And in this episode, Chris will tell us the secrets that wealthy people use to preserve their wealth. And as Warren Buffett says, if poor people would do what rich people do, then they wouldn't be poor anymore. Chris will go over a recession-proof plan that creates opportunities at a time when most people see obstacles. And if you're interested in learning the secrets that wealthy people use to preserve wealth, then you need to listen to this episode. If you're new to this podcast, subscribe to the show and leave a review. We release episodes every Wednesday and Sunday and release the show notes on our site, everythingrei.com podcast. By the way, if you need help financing your next real estate project, check out Conventus Lending. Conventus is the best hard money lender with amazing rates and incredible service. I've used them for years and they've always been incredibly easy to work with. If you need a hard money loan, contact me at sean at everythingrei.com to get $1,000 off of your processing fee. And if you want to know the secrets of how investors in the Bay Area are making huge profits in one of the most expensive markets in the world, download the free Ultimate Bay Area Investing Handbook on our website, everythingrei.com. Enjoy. All right, Chris, thank you so much for being on the show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and tell us what you do. Yeah, I'm Chris Noggle, America's number one money mentor and do a couple things, but uh, real estate is one of them, big real estate investors. And also I teach people how money really works. That's amazing. Do you want to give us a quick insight on your real estate investing journey? Yeah. So, I mean, it goes back, I'll I'll just start you at the real estate side. There's a lot more to the story, but in the sake of time, 2006 was my first real estate flip. And I remember I I saw a TV show and it had flipping and I'm like, I want to do that. I was a high level financial advisor making good money. And I'm like, let's do this. So I went in, my favorite day was demo day and demo day demolished the whole house and I had to put it back together. So my first flip was supposed to make me 30 grand. I ended up making eight grand, but you know what? It was enough to get me interested enough to go and do it again and again and again. And that's where it all began back in 2006. That's awesome. So you did this right before the crash. Were you affected at all by the great financial crisis? So 2008, yeah, I was crushing it. In 2008, I started a big project developing a strip mall. And I was going to move my retail store. So what people don't know is I used to be a pro snowboarder. I had a chain of skateboard snowboard shops called Fat Man Board Shops. And in 2008, my lease came due. So what I was doing is I was not wanting to pay rent to my landlord. So I bought a dilapidated building and I started converting it into a three unit strip mall, borrowed money from a hard money lender. And obviously, you know what happened in 08. In 08, the Great Recession hit and it brought me to my knees. I got to be one payment away from being completely bankrupt. I almost didn't finish the plaza. I knew that that hard money lender wouldn't have just taken the plaza. He probably would have taken a couple of fingers along with it. So that's how 2008 welcomed me in. And I'll never forget, I came home one night not knowing what I was going to do. And I looked at my girlfriend who had just moved into my house, uh, Larissa. And I said, Larissa, I need your help. I need you to help me pay the mortgage. I need you to help me pay the utilities. And also, by the way, my friend Pete has to move into that bedroom because I can't make it. Mr. Big Financial Advisor, real estate investor, pro snowboarder, 
I can't make it. So I had a 50-50 shot. She was either going to walk out the door or I was going to find out if she really liked me. Well, she really likes me because she married me. We now had our, we have a daughter that's three weeks old and away we go. But that's how I made it through 2008 by the skin of my teeth, but I lost everything else. It's crazy. Congratulations on that. What did you end up doing uh, to get yourself out of that hole? I just kept working hard. I put my nose down and, you know, I actually got lucky because in the plaza, when the recession hit really hard, I had my retail store. So luckily I had a Christmas season, even though it was down 30%, we had the money from Christmas and I shoved all that money into the plaza. I finished up most of it, not the whole thing. I moved my store in, in January, and then I rented the middle unit to some cell phone store. And then I got really lucky because the bank wouldn't take me out of the deal. No banks were lending. And the bank said, you need 100% occupancy. Otherwise, we can't lend to you. And I'm like, oh, my God, the other unit wasn't done. I didn't have the money to finish it. And, you know, I was literally just scraping by, barely able to make ends meet at this point for this time. But then this guy drove by. He had a video game store. He saw the Ford lease sign stopped and ended up renting the space. He funded the build out of the space. I gave him free rent, took the deal to the bank. The bank gave me the mortgage. I bought out Mr. Knuckles before he took my fingers and toes and the plaza. And that's, that's literally how I did it. It was, if you don't believe there's a higher power watching over you, well, get to that point And then you really start to believe there is someone watching over me because there's no way that should have happened. I should have went bankrupt. That's crazy. So after that happened, you were able to stabilize and then continue building on your real estate portfolio from there? Yeah. So after that point, I mean, things weren't great. 2009, I started buying real estate again and I started buying apartment buildings from nine to 2014, got up to 36 units. Then I brought my 37th unit to the bank, same bank. And they said, no, they said, Mr. Nago, you don't fit in the little square box. You don't have your debt to income ratio isn't where we need it. So therefore, we can't give you this mortgage. And I'm like, darn it. Okay, well, 36 is fine. But then the bank did a full review of my account and all my finances, and they froze all of the lines of credit they gave me. And those are the only reasons I was able to keep renovating these houses. I was doing okay as an advisor at this point, but I was still trying to, every penny I'd made, whether it was rent, money at the advisory, money at the the stores I had sold at this point, was all going into this monster of a real estate business I was trying to build. And, you know, it just got to the point where they froze those lines. I had to sell all 36 units. Not only that, me and my wife, she was my fiance then, bought our dream house. And we ended up having to sell that dream house too during that. So I was crushing it before 2008. I lost it all. Then here we go. 2014 got right back, you know, doing okay, not crushing it, doing okay. 36 units, lost it all again. So that's the real journey. I I literally have learned everything I've learned by failing so many times that I've learned the right way to do this over the years. I mean, it's sad to say this, but I love hearing these stories because it just show people that even though you have achieved success, you can fail. But even if you fail, you can still achieve success again if you just keep doing the right things. I was doing it all wrong. Yeah. What would you say was the problem you did with those 36 different properties that you had at the same time? It's easy. I I used the conventional financial knowledge that I had gotten from being an advisor, from people I talked to, from some books that I read. And that advice said, basically, get mortgages, use conventional mortgages in your personal name to save the interest. And that's what I did. I bought all of those properties using conventional mortgages in my name. Even though I had LLCs, I still bought them in my name because I was trying to save that interest rate. And I didn't know how the rules work, but you'll never get more than 10 properties in your personal name. It'll never happen, but you'll never get there because the debt to income ratio, how they factor that number, the bank will always do what happened to me. Now they may not freeze your lines, but that's what happened. So the biggest 
thing that I didn't know is I didn't know how money really worked. And that's where everything changed because when I lost it the second time, I had nothing to lose and everything to gain. So I got a postcard. It came in the mail like you probably got one too to come learn how to flip houses at one of these seminars. So I didn't go to the seminar to learn how to flip houses. I went because they were giving away a free iPod shuffle and I had nothing. Like I was down on my knees again. So I went and at that seminar, I didn't learn much, but I met two people, Greg and Mike. Now, these two guys were rock stars. Mike had a TV show on A&E. Greg was his bank and lending him money. And they got up and did their little talk. And instantly, being an advisor, I listened to what they were saying. And I'm like, holy crap, wait a second. This is what the guys are doing that are doing it well and crushing it. This is not what I was taught to do. This isn't how I was taught to use money. They were talking about self-directed IRAs. They were talking about private money and, and building a bank of private lenders and, and how all this stuff worked and using hedge funds to borrow money through different sources. And I'm like, it just exploded my head because I'm like, wait a second. I was always taught to use the bank, come out of pocket 20% and then do that. I just never was taught that these things existed. And that was just the beginning of what I started to learn. But that's that was that moment where I realized I didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah. So going forward, what did you start doing differently? So being an advisor, I had access to go and really start looking at what the wealthy were doing. And I started finding patterns. And those patterns I found were that wealthy all had, all the wealthy people, multimillionaires and billionaires, they all had real estate, but almost all of them also did not use banks. Because when I saw their finances, these you know high net worth clients, I would always see their bank statement. I was always surprised. They had very, very little money in traditional conventional banks. Very little. Like you would think they'd have millions of dollars in banks, but they didn't. They had very little money in stocks, bonds, mutual funds. They had very little money there. A lot of them, like the really wealthy ones that I saw, didn't keep their money at any of those sources. I They always had a line on their, their stuff that said they had their money in mutually owned insurance companies. And I never understood, like, why, why do you have money in insurance companies? Like banks work good. Brokerages work good. Like, why is there money in insurance companies? And I started digging in and Mike started telling me, you know, wealthy people don't keep their money at banks. They don't trust banks. A lot of them keep their money at insurance companies. And I'm like, well, how do how do you get money into an insurance company? And I started just diving in and learning and learning and learning because I knew this stuff and I knew how vehicles worked with insurance companies. I'm like, that's not how they work, Mike. They don't work this way. And he said, okay, well, explain this. How is it that I've been lending you money all these years on your flips and I've been taking all the money from these accounts at these mutually owned insurance companies? And I said, teach me. He says, well, I can't. I don't know how to do it. This guy taught me. So I went, I just started chasing the wealth. I started finding all the people and I, I got mentors and they taught me the secrets of what it was. The wealthy, like the Rockefellers and that, they built a banking system using insurance companies, mutually owned insurance companies. And what most people don't realize is they access the insurance company's general account and returns through a whole life insurance policy, but not a traditional, normal whole life. This is like what the banks use, Bully and Coley. These are very specially designed whole lives that don't look or feel like a life insurance policy. They look and operate like a bank account like a very high interest bank account, 4% guaranteed. When I saw this, I'm like, holy crap. You know, as an advisor, I knew what whole life was, but I knew the traditional methods of whole life. Once I learned what they were doing, that's when I dove in. That's when I started using these vehicles. I started opening accounts with the insurance companies and I started using them to buy real estate because what that gave me the ability to do is earn uninterrupted compound interest on every penny that I put through these accounts and then take that money right back out buy real estate, use it to fund the 20%. Today, I mean, I have lots of these these accounts now and I use it for private lending. I use it to buy rentals, all sorts of stuff. That sounds amazing. Can you go into how the whole process works? 
Yeah. So it's simple. I mean, think about, you know, you don't trust banks because banks use fractional lending. So why insurance companies? Well, they're bigger, they're safer, and they pay higher interest rates because they don't move money the way the banks do. So what you do is you're just looking to get access to the returns that the insurance companies will pay. So through this specially designed whole life, you access the general account, you can get the money into the general account. And in doing that, basically, once the money hits that, you basically can pull the money right back out. When your check clears, you put it in and you can take it out. Now, depending on the plan design, you can't take 100% of this money out immediately. Usually it's between 60 and 90%, depending on how you do it. So you put in 100 grand, you can take 60 to 90% of that immediately in the first 30 days. Then you take that money out and you use that for something. But here's the difference. If you put 100 grand in your bank account, and let's just assume your bank account agreed to pay you a contractual 4%. Your bank account isn't paying you 4%. Let's pretend. And then your money's in there, but then you get a real estate deal and you need to take out $90,000 of that money for your real estate deal. When you take the money out of your bank, your interest and your compound interest stops because you took the money out. In an insurance company, when you deposit that money there, when you pull it out, you don't stop the interest. Okay, the interest, which is 4% plus the dividend, because these are mutually owned companies. So all in all, one of the companies we work with pays 6.2% with dividend. So I'm making 6.2. When I take money out, I'm not taking my money. The insurance company is just giving me money from their general account as a loan. They're making me a loan at a lower interest rate than what they're paying me. So therefore, my money never stops earning interest in this insurance policy. So it's making money. I take the money out that I need and I pay interest to the insurance company, but I then go out and I use that to buy real estate. Now, when I lend that money to my real estate companies, my LLCs, I charge my LLC 6%. Why would I charge my company 6%? Well, because if I went to the bank, they'd charge me interest and I'd have no problem paying them. So what I do is I pay myself back at 6%. But if I never pay that loan back to the insurance company, here's where the magic happens. That insurance company will never ask for that loan back. They don't care if I ever, ever give them that loan back because they've already pledged that money for the day I die. So someday when I die, that insurance company is going to pay out a tax-free death benefit to my beneficiaries. So all the money I use while I'm living, all I'm doing is I'm taking and leveraging my death benefit. I'm using the money today so that when I pass, that money subtracts from my death benefit, which would be a problem if you use this for life insurance, but we're not. We're using this for banking. Therefore, the death benefit is literally just there as a bonus. So uninterrupted compound interest, access to your money, all the interest in the dividends I make inside the vehicle are tax-free, and I have a death benefit so that if I die someday, well, my family gets money. Think about the Rockefellers. Why do they keep getting richer? Well, every time one of them graduates, there's a big old death benefit paid back to that trust, and that's what the next family gets wealthier and wealthier using. I do the same thing they do. I just do it at a smaller level than they do. Wow. That was a lot of information to take in. There's a lot to go over. And, and I went really quick. I have a book that I'm going to give every one of your audience. I'm going to give them a free book that's going to explain that. And I also have a training video that explains exactly how that works. Because I can show people using this system how to get all the money back for every single car they're ever going to buy, drive, and own. I can teach them how to use that system to pay off debt in rapid times. Because think about it. You're making interest here. You take the money out, you pay off your Visa card, whatever you're paying Visa, you take that money that you were giving to Visa, you put it back into your account. It's like making money twice. You just don't give away your wealth. You keep your wealth. You become the bank. Yeah. And how can people get that book? Uh, well, let's just give it to them. So they just go to moneyschoolrei.com slash new book. 
So moneyschoolrei.com forward slash new book. And you guys can get the book for free. You just pay the shipping to wherever you're going. Nice. And this book will teach you everything I just said. It's a short podcast, so I just wanted to make sure I got it out really quick. So all I was trying to do is just help you understand that what you think you know isn't what really happens. And Will Rogers says it best. You know who Will Rogers is, right? I don't actually. So I'll just give you a quote that he did. It's an awesome quote. Will Rogers said that the biggest problem in America is not what people don't know. The biggest problem in America is what people think they know that just ain't so thing I'm talking about here is using a traditional vehicle that most people think is a terrible place to put money. Listening to Dave Ramsey, Susie Orman, they say whole life is a terrible investment. I agree. If you use the regular whole life, that would be a terrible place to put money. But they don't know that they can use these vehicles in a completely different manner and have it operate exactly how I explained. Mm -hmm. Now, what are the potential downsides or risks that people might encounter if they use a strategy incorrectly? So if they use the strategy incorrectly, there could be taxable events, okay? So there's a thing called the IRS MEC7 payroll. So if we set up a plan, if we build a plan, or if I make my own plan and it's meant to hold $100,000 a year, I can deposit up to $100,000 a year into my account. If one year I forget that that's what I set it up at and I deposit $120,000 or $130,000, that will trigger a taxable event. It will trigger a MEC because my plan will now be overfunded by IRS rules and the government will tax me on all the gains inside the plan. That's one problem that can happen. Second problem, you know, the only real negative to these is you don't have access to 100% of your money in the first few years. It takes a couple of years to capitalize these systems and get them going. But to give up, you know, whatever it is, let's say the main plan I use, you give up 10% year one to basically have a vehicle that will pay you for the rest of your life, whether or not the money's in your account or not, it just keeps paying you interest. So that would be some of the negatives to it. And how much is the interest of the loan you take out? I guess it's called a line of credit, right? No, it's not a line of credit. It's just a loan you're taking. It's not really, the insurance company is just basically using your money in your account as collateral. And they're just making you a loan up to the amount you have in your account. So the loan they're giving you is 5% right now. So this is 2020 and the loans that the insurance companies we use is 5%. So do the math. If they're paying you 6.2, okay, on your money that never left your account, and you're paying them five, how much money effectively did you just make in a spread? Yeah, 1.2. 1.2. So you literally get paid 1.2% for using your own money. That's only the first year. And that's where people trip up. Remember, the first year is the worst year. How about year five? Year five, your money, your 100 grand or whatever amount you put into the account, continually earned interest and dividends every single year. So first year was 100. Okay. Then it was 106.50 or 106.20. Then it was, you know, it just keeps going up by 6.2. It's going to keep compounding on that. And every time it compounds, you have more money making more money. So by year five in my newest plan, which is the one I'm talking about, my cash on cash return on my deposit that year is 10.7%. Now 10.7 minus five. Okay. It's much more than 1.2, right? Yeah. Every year that number goes down and every year you're giving the insurance company 5% simple, your money is growing uninterrupted and compounding. It, it's what Albert Einstein called the eighth wonder of the world. It's uninterrupted compound interest. It's the best way to use it. The whole life that we're talking about is nothing more than a machine to move your money because you're not going to leave the money in there. If you're a real estate investor, the worst thing you could do is deposit money and leave it because that's what you've been taught to do with money your whole life. You've literally been taught to give up control of money your entire life. Put it in 401ks, put it in IRAs, not self-directed, put it in banks. 
Who's in control of all those transactions? Not you. You decide to give up control. They're in control then. The financial companies, the banks, and they're making money on your money. This method gives you the ability to be in control of your money, to be the bank and to mimic exactly what banks do with your money to make 400 to 1300%. And that's what banks make on our deposits. Look at bauerfinancial.com. Yeah. So what's the strategy? Are you saying that people should put as much money as they can into these whole life insurance programs and then use them for their real estate projects when the opportunity comes up? Well, it's going to be different for everybody. You know, there's not one way to use them. I mean, some people use them to pay off debt. Other people use them to buy cars. Real estate investors that I work with, I just did a really big plan for 1.9 million. And what they're doing is they're putting the money in there. They're immediately going to take that money out when they get a real estate deal and they're big multifamily. So they'll buy a multifamily property. They'll, instead of having to go get private investors to fill that 20% gap that the bank won't give them, they go to their own account, they take that money out and they fund that gap. But then what they do is they charge their company like I charge mine an interest rate. And that interest rate that they charge their company is paid out of rent roll. So that goes back to their account. It's just another way for them to make their money work smarter and harder for them. So that there's so many different ways. And if I could show you, like if I could pull a whiteboard out and show you, I'd show you how that works. It's very simple. It's the same way you operate when you borrow money from a private lender, except for that private lender is your, it's your account, it's your bank and your bank just lends you money and you determine the terms, you determine the loan repayment back. But the difference is, is like Knuckles, when I borrowed money, he determined the terms. He was in control of what I was paying him back. Here, when I lend money to my company, if my company, if I don't get the property done and I don't have adequate rent roll, I just defer a month. I kick a month back. If I can't pay myself back for a year, no problem. I'll make it up later. I'll make it up when the property sells in a flip scenario. So you're, it's all about control. It's about you being in control of your money. And it's also all about you continually making your money work for you instead of you working for your money. Yeah. And in these cases, it doesn't seem like your whole life insurance plan will be able to cover the entire purchase of the property. It's mostly for the down payment. And then you still you know, try to get a first lender for the most of the balance. Right. But yeah. So in the beginning, obviously, unless you got a lot of money like that gentleman I was talking about that did 1.9, obviously you're not going to have enough money to fund your whole property. But same thing. If you want to pay cash for properties, how would you do that? Well, you'd have to start saving money, right? You'd have to put money in traditional vehicles like savings accounts, checking accounts, brokerage accounts. And when you had enough money to go pay cash, you would. Or you'd use your brokerage account to pay off the mortgages you took out. Same difference here. You're just creating another bank account. That's all you're doing, except for this bank account isn't at a bank. It's at an insurance company, a mutually owned dividend paying insurance company. And while that money's there, that money will always earn more than a bank will ever pay you and you have access to it. If you knew this back in 2014, how would things have gone differently for you? Well, I did know this in 14. I just didn't know how to use the banking component of this. So things would have went very differently because every dollar that I was putting in the stock market prior to 2008, I wouldn't have lost it all in 2008. So these vehicles are guaranteed versus the markets not being guaranteed. So that would have been one change. Number two change I would have done, it wouldn't have been related to this one concept that I would have changed in 14. I would have learned that I shouldn't have been taking personal mortgages out conventional mortgage. I should have been doing commercial mortgages in my LLC's name because then it doesn't hit my personal credit score. And then you can buy as many as you want. I mean, right now I think we have 70 some mortgages out with the same bank and it doesn't get affected by debt to income ratio because each property is its own standalone profit center. So as long as the profits are good on the properties, I don't have anything to worry about. That would have been the biggest change is just learning the things that I didn't know.
you know, it seems simple to some of us because we're real estate investors that we know what we, or we think we know what we don't know, but I didn't know. And, but I thought I knew I had no one ever telling me any different because this knowledge isn't out there. It's not like you go to school and learn how to do this. It's not like somebody just shows up in your life and tells you how to do, you know, how to buy properties the right way and how to buy properties like the successful investors. It's not common knowledge. You got to seek out that knowledge. So that's what I should have been doing, but I didn't because I was too cheap to go out and pay for the knowledge that I needed. And I'm like, I'll figure it out. That figuring it out cost me 36 units that I bought from 2009 to 14. Now I want you to just think about that. If you could go back to 2009 from nine to 14, you could have bought properties, pennies on the dollar, all rentals. And if you still had them today, where would you be? Hmm. I think about that every single day in my life because that's where I would have been, but I didn't have those properties. I had to sell them all and I didn't make much on them because I had to sell them in a fire sale just to make men's, you know, make things work with the bank. And it was just the wrong position. I was not in control of my money. Yeah. How did you even get to 35 in the first place? I had a good realtor who was always a good friend of mine. And we went out and we just, we found absentee owners, you know, people that didn't live here. And we basically started making offers. Literally, that's what I did. I had a, two brokers. I had two brokers go out and we'd identify a property in an area I wanted. We'd find out through the title and through records that they didn't live in the state. And we would just send them a letter and make offers. I knew nothing about direct mail and any of that stuff because I didn't go through any education, right? I was just blindly doing what made logical sense. And every time we'd send these offers out, we'd get responses back. Sure, we'll sell. What price are you willing to offer? And then we would basically, we had a formula that we used off of a pro forma that I found online and I would make offers and I got a lot of them. But what we found is a lot of these people were distressed, you know, especially nine, 10, 11. These people were in very distressed positions. They didn't act like it, but we knew that they were because they were very anxious to get these deals closed. And then what we would do, and don't dislike me for this, but we would put the property under contract with a contingency of a home inspection. And then I'd go in and I'd rip the place apart. And we'd come back and we would basically say, okay, well, here's the things we found. We have to renegotiate this price. And the funniest thing is, is back then, unlike today, the sellers didn't walk away. They lowered their price and they made the deals happen. And that's how we were able to buy them so cheap. Yeah. I mean, I think back to what those properties are worth now and it makes me sick to my stomach. How were you able to finance so many properties? Like you said, most people can only get up to 10 loans. Well, no, I had 36 units. Oh, got it. Yeah, yeah. Each property, you know, so I had... I think I got up to six properties at that point and six properties were 36 units. Oh yeah. Yeah. I should probably say that, but you know, it was 36 units that I had and I, I, it was like six buildings. Makes sense. Yeah. And yeah, obviously now because of the appreciation, it's definitely a lot higher, but you have since recovered from them. Seems like you're at 70 units now. What did you do after that? After 2014? Yeah. What did you do to get back to the, to where you are now? Oh, I learned. I learned how to do it. I literally learned from Mike, from Greg, and I became friends with Greg. Greg today, fast forward to today, he's one of my partners. He's, you know, we do, we own, I'm a partner in four private funds, Reg D's and a Reg A. We operate just, we do so much private lending operations and everything else. But I did all that by learning and by failing first. And then I just, I stopped failing and I started paying for advice, paying for mentors, paying for people to teach me how this worked because it wasn't common knowledge. I mean, I was an advisor. I mean, a high level advisor at that, you know, and I was never taught this. I was taught to sell stocks, bonds. You know, you think I'm not going to you know, disrespect advisors because there's some really good ones out there. But all I can tell you is the things that you think that we should know, we didn't know because that's not what we were taught to do. And 
when I learned the truth about how money really worked, I was literally blindsided. I was hit by like a Mack truck in that situation. And I just went out and I started applying the knowledge in a way that worked. And I watched it work one and then two. The first couple of deals were the toughest. You know, after I had to sell all those, I didn't stop buying. We kept buying. But I really, really started buying again in late 14 after I kind of learned and, you know, heard this. And and Greg and Mike were lending me money at very high interest rates. Bear in mind that it was like 15% they were charging me. They were ripping me off. But you know what? It didn't matter that I was paying 15%. I had access to money in a new way. I didn't have to go to the banks and get 80%, come up with 20, come up with rehab. I had somebody that would lend me, in some cases, 100% because I was finding really good deals. And then I learned that, okay, in order to get the money, I needed to have really good deals. So I started marketing. I've always been very good at marketing because I used to own skateboard, snowboard shops. And all that business was, was strictly marketing. We were very good at marketing the brand. So that's what I started doing. I started marketing and we got deals. At the peak of, right before we got our HGTV show, we were doing about 20 to 25 houses a month, flips. And then what we would do is if a flip didn't sell, no big deal. We would roll it. We'd do a burr take it to the bank, get rid of the hard money lender or the private lender. And we would basically then just bankroll it, put it on the rental. And then I started learning because flipping can be a dead end road. If you are just a flipper, you have cash flow problems. Don't tell me you don't, you do. So what we started figuring out is we started building a rental portfolio that we had passive income. So we had a column, a spreadsheet where the top was all the rentals and it had our net income. And at the very bottom was all of our flips and it had our cash draw. As long as our rentals were kicking off enough every month to support our cash draw for our flips, we were in a positive state. But it wasn't always like that. Even though all that sounds good from 14 to 2020, we've done over 259 flips. And in those flips, I had a lot of hard times during there. 2016 was another hard year. I mean, not nothing like 14 or eight, but it was still a hard year because we were doing so many flips and we were getting ripped off by contractors. We had a property manager stealing money from us. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. But when you're doing that much volume, you're figuring it out as you go and you're failing along the way. And every failure makes you smarter. It makes you a better business person. Absolutely. And I know a lot of people are suffering right now in 2020, especially due to this whole COVID-19 economic, right? An economic crisis caused by COVID-19. Do you have any suggestions for people who are going through tough times right now and maybe some of the lessons that are learned from it? Absolutely. So, I mean, there's a lot of lessons, more than we have time for, but I think the simplest lessons are really, you need to understand that right now, in this COVID crisis, we've been here before. You're either going to look at this as a as an obstacle or an opportunity. It's going to be one of the two for you. And you got to draw a line in the sand. If it's going to be an obstacle, well, you're going to just bury your head in the sand and you're going to get run over. But you also could look at this as an opportunity and realize that right now, you have one of the greatest opportunities of your lifetime to stand up and be the leader you were meant to be. You have the opportunity to go out there and raise an unbelievable amount of money doing the right thing, which is solving people's problems. I want you to think about something. Think about the equity in people's homes. Right now, their equity in their homes for the next five to 10 years probably will never be higher than it is today. And if they have equity in their homes, why aren't you out there teaching them how to have their house pay for their car payment, how to have their house pay for their college, their kids' college tuition? You should be out there telling people how to solve their problems. Don't ask for money. Teach them how to solve problems. The problems are very simple. Everybody right now has problems with money. Everyone. Okay, so if you can go out there and tell them how to make their money work smarter for them without having to work harder, 
That's what you need to do. So if they've got equity in their house, we'll go tell them to get a home equity line of credit before the bank decides not to give home equity lines of credit and then bring them an opportunity that pays them a monthly paycheck that's enough to cover their home equity line of credit payment plus extra money that will make their car payment. Like that's some of the biggest pieces of advice I give in my books is teaching people to stop worrying about like solving your problems. Go out there and solve other people's problems. If you solve other people's problems, your problems will be solved. I mean, Zig Ziglar said it best, right? If you go out there and help enough people, like enough people uh, get what they want, you will get what you want. It's the same thing I'm saying. Solve problems. So if you're a real estate investor and you're looking for money for your deals and you're struggling because your hard money lender just froze you up and they're not lending, great. Go out there and talk to your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, your family, and solve their problems. And you will do something greater than ever just borrowing money from a hard money lender. The other thing with money that's important is I know this is a hard time and you know, a lot of people are losing their jobs. A lot of people are, God, there's so many things going on, you know, soon going to be losing their businesses, soon going to be losing their house, their everything. Understand that that is bad and everything else. But what you also need to understand is you have dreams. And if you're W-2 employee, and you've been thinking that you really want to do something for yourself, you want to follow your dream, right now is the best time. The button just got hit and everything got reset. So now is the time with a blank canvas, you can go paint your perfect life. What do you want your life to be? It's not going to be easy. Okay. We're in bad times, but now is the time. This is when Uber was founded. This is when so many companies, Walt Disney World was founded during the Great Depression, Sears, JCPenney's. I know they went bankrupt, but they were founded during the Great Depression, actually using loans from those specially designed whole lives I just talked to you about. But there's so much you can do in this time that will set you up for the rest of your life. You just need to stop looking at the obstacle and start focusing on the opportunity and be the light in the darkness for the other people that you can help. Amazing. Chris, thank you so much for being on the show today. How can people get in contact with you? Easiest way is social media. Just find Chris Noggle, N-A-U-G-L-E, and you can find me on social media or my website, chrisnoggle.com. So you guys got the first book. How about my other book? This is what I was just talking about, The Private Money Guide. I'll give you that book too. And that's the same thing. It's moneyschoolrei.com slash book. And you can get both books. Awesome. Well, Chris, thank you again so much for your time. It was a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Here are some of the key takeaways from this episode. Chris had a lot of interesting twists and turns in his life. And one of the key takeaways that I got was that making money isn't that hard, but keeping money is. So one day you can be killing it in the business, and the next day you can lose it all due to the way your properties are financed and by how leveraged you are. Chris taught us different ways to finance properties to protect your downside and told us about life insurance policies that can help us fund our projects even through a recession. We rarely hear of these techniques in other media platforms, so I was really excited to hear it on today's episode. If you guys want more information, feel free to check out Chris's book through his website, moneyschoolrei.com book. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com podcast. If you live in the Bay Area, join our meetup group, where we meet up twice a month in San Jose at meetup.com everythingrei. And if you thought this was a great episode, let me know what your key takeaway was and share it with a friend who's interested in real estate investing. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It will only take a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day.